day that he was teaching with the scribes and the Pharisees and the people and the crowds all around him, that same day Jesus went out of the house and he sat by the sea and great crowds gathered around him so that he got in a boat and sat down and the whole crowd stood on the beach and he told them many things in parables saying, a sower went out to sow And as he sowed, some seed fell along the path, and the birds came and devoured them. Other seeds fell on rocky ground, where they did not have much soil, and immediately they sprang up since they had no depth of soil. But when the sun rose, they were scorched, and since they had no root, they withered away. Other seed fell on thorns, and the thorns grew up and choked them. Other seed fell on good soil and produced grain, some a hundred, some sixty, some thirty. He who has ears, let him hear. Then the disciples came and said to him, Why do you speak to them in parables? And he answered them, To you it has been given to know the secrets of the kingdom of heaven, but to them it has not been given. It has not been given. For to the one who has, more will be given, and to the one that he'll have an abundance. But to the one who does not have, even what he has will be taken away. This is why I speak to them in parables. Because seeing they do not see, and hearing they do not hear, nor do they understand. Indeed, in their case, the prophecy of Isaiah is fulfilled that says, You will indeed hear, but never understand. You will indeed see, but never perceive. For this people's heart has grown dull, and with their ears they can barely hear, and their eyes they have closed. Lest they should see with their eyes, and hear with their ears, and understand with their heart, and turn, and I would heal them. But blessed are your ears, Jesus says, for they see, and your your eyes, for they see, and your ears, for they hear. For truly I say to you, many prophets and righteous people long to see what you see, and did not see it, and longed to hear what you hear, and did not hear it. Hear then, hear then the parable of the sower. When anyone hears the word of the kingdom, and does not understand it, the evil one comes and snatches away what has been sown in his heart. This is what was sown on the path. As for what was sown on rocky ground, This is the one who hears the word and immediately receives it with joy. Yet he has no root in himself, but endures for a while. And while tribulation and persecution arise on account of the word, immediately he falls away. As for what was sown among the thorns, this is the one who hears the word. But the cares of the world and the deceitfulness of riches choke the word and it proves unfruitful. As for what was sown on good soil, this is the one who hears the word and understands it. He immediately bears fruit and yields, in some case a hundredfold, in another sixty, and in another thirty. And there is Jesus' explanation. There is his beginning of his dialogue, the parable of the sower. You could say the parable of the soils, really. There's four scenarios, four soils, in which Jesus begins to Metaphorically, uh, analogically, 
symbolically explain what's going on. I've heard um, a famous quote from Albert Einstein that said, if you cannot explain it to a six-year-old, then you don't understand it. And it's the beautiful thing of Jesus is he knows what he's talking about. He can distill everything into the simplest of an image. The simplest of an image of just throwing seed upon the soil. So simple that a six-year-old would simply understand the story. But behind the simplicity is also a secret. It's so simple that it actually doesn't explain very much. Albert Einstein perhaps explained the theory of relativity in time is that time seems to slow down when you're in the presence of a beautiful woman that you like. Eckert explains it, that he's essentially saying that time is subjective and sometimes it feels faster or slower. But that's a far difference than actually explaining really what he did to revolutionize modern science. The same things for this parable. It can make sense and you can get it, but without really the interpretation, you'll never understand it. Without really coming back to the master, the teacher. It's just a story and it's just symbols and it's very hazy and actually very secretive because it is so simple. There's a huge gap here. Jesus is making a gap. It's a knowledge gap. Some of you might know um, a member here from the church, Leonora Keppel. I'd, many times where I would meet with her, she went to be with the Lord. But I remember in her house, I was good with my smartphone. And she maybe wasn't so. But on the wall of her house, she had a big box. And it was a phone. It was called what you might call a coffin phone, they say where it's a massive box, and my only exposure to that, there was a generational gap, and we love talking about it. I love talking to her about things, because she could tell me things I just never would have known. And the only time I've ever seen a phone like that was when I watched Lassie, <laughs> and, and someone was in trouble, and you had to go to the box phone, because Lassie had to go help someone get out of a cave. But she could tell me. See, she bridged the, the gap for me. She could tell me when she was a little girl how she would pick up that phone and everything was on the same line and she could hear all the neighbors talking about everything. And she could hear the neighbor down the street and what was going wrong with their marriage or whatever and all the gossip was just so open. It was just there. And so she bridged that gap for me. There was a huge gap between her experience of a phone and my experience of a phone. What Jesus is doing is he's creating gaps. He's creating a gap of knowledge, and he's doing it on purpose. He does this regularly. The very first time Jesus had a discourse here like this in the Gospel of Matthew is Matthew 5, the Sermon on the Mount. We're told in Matthew 5.1, Jesus saw all the crowds around him, and what did he do? He went up to the mountain, and from sitting on top of that mountain, he began to teach his disciples. It says he went up to the mountain, and he sat down with his disciples. Now, if you were going to address a very large crowd sitting on the high top of a mountain where it's very windy and where sound doesn't travel very easily is not a great way to get your message across. When you sit up on top of a mountain, there's only enough service area toward the top to only have a select few in that region. And the masses of the crowds would be at the base or the bottom of the mountain. 
he was creating a gap on purpose. He was being selective that he would be on the mountain and the inner circle of people around him would be his disciples because there was such a large crowd of people that were seeking him. He made a gap between the knowledge his disciples were hearing and the knowledge that the crowd was not hearing as he was on top of that mountain. Jesus continues to make this gap all throughout his ministry. In Matthew 10, he says, Do not think that I have come to bring peace on the earth. I did not come to bring peace, but a sword. That is division, a gap between father and son and daughter and mother. He goes on in Matthew 12 to say, Whoever is not with me is against me. And whoever does not gather with me scatters. Either you're with me or you're against me. But you will be over there and I will be over here. He makes a very large gap, a large divide. Even later, just before this passage, the family of Jesus, his, his biological mother and brothers, come to him seeking his counsel, or at least seeking his attention. And he says, in front of his, all of his disciples, in the presence of his disciples, you see, he lifts up his hand and gestures to them and says, Who is my mother or my brothers? And he gestures to his disciples and says, These are my mother and brothers. He makes a gap between everyone else and his disciples, even down to his very own mother and brothers and his disciples. That is the divide Jesus creates. And these parables, what we enter into now, particularly the parable for you this morning, the parable of the sower, the parable of the soils, is Jesus again creating that gap, intentionally creating it. The parables were intended to create a gap. See, Jesus' authority is what is a question here. His parables are an extension of his kingly rule. His ability to be the one in authority. The ability of the one to frame a discussion. If you're ever in a confrontational uh, debate or dialogue with someone, whoever gets to frame the discussion has the upper hand. Whoever gets to set out the presuppositions of the argument, whoever gets to set up the terms of the discussion, the framing of it is the one who has the upper hand. Parables very much are like that. Jesus is laying out parables to this massive crowd saying, if you want to know more, then come on in. If you don't care about this mysterious parable I gave you, then go on by. Because Jesus is looking to find his disciples on his terms. These parables are him framing his own wisdom for people that are eager to listen. Because many people came to Jesus for healings, for food, for all sorts of other things. But these parables are big signs put up front to say, do you want me or do you want my stuff? Do you want to learn and sit at my feet as your teacher? Or do you just want to follow me as you're a member of some mysterious crowd? Because the point of parables is without the interpreter who created the parable, it's meaningless. Every symbol, every allegory is left to the interpreter. People debate about these things all the time with great works of literature. Tolkien's Lord of the Rings, even down to the Three Little Pigs. Is there an anal analogous uh, interpretation? The Wizard of Oz. What's behind the curtain? Is this a symbol of communism? All these things people talk about. Well, unless you actually speak to the one who made the story, and the one who made the story says, when I made that story, I intended this to represent that, and I intended this to represent that. Outside of the originator, the interpreter, 
the king, the arcade, the beginner, the gener generator of that story, there is no actual interpretation. And that is exactly what Jesus is doing. He's presenting these parables so that you will have to choose. Well, it's not very important to me. I'll move on. Oh, he stopped giving us free bread. I'll move on. Oh, he stopped healing people. I'll move on. And some people will hear these parables and say, well, what does that mean? And they come closer. What is it about the soils? And they sit at his feet and listen. Jesus is making that division. And here you and I are presented with that same opportunity. This gap, notice the gap of the interpretation. The parable is given to us, but the interpretation does not follow immediately. What actually comes is the parable, and then an interchange between Jesus and his disciples. His disciples, not the crowd. In which the disciples are saying, why are you always speaking them in parables? And then later, privately, Jesus gives them the interpretation. So Jesus doesn't give the parable and then immediately follow with interpretation. He gives the parable and then he says something very simple. He says, he who has an ear, let him hear. And he's done. The crowd's there on the beach. Jesus sitting on the boat like a rabbi. The teacher would sit. The ones who are learning stand the exact opposite of our modern context. I teach standing, you listen sitting. The reverse was in the synagogue. The one teaching in the synagogue would sit, and the one listening would stand. And so here is Jesus sitting in the boat, and all the crowds standing on the beach. And he won't give the interpretation. Not only that, he deliberately has made a physical barrier. He was there with his disciples. Crowds became present. Jesus got into the boat. And now there is a water of divide between him and the crowds. Intentionally made. Picturing what he's actually doing with his parables. He's creating that gap. He's creating that divide. That they would all be on the beach and he would be in the boat. Mark tells us that he was in the boat with his 12 disciples, his 12 apostles. So as you see it unfold, you realize that he is giving this parable to the crowds publicly. And then the dialogue, the interchange between him and his disciples is privately happening upon the boat. Well, the crowds never actually hear the interpretation. They're just given the story. And if you're content with just the story, then you're part of the crowds. If you want to know Jesus, then you could, you might actually become a disciple. This is what's presented. And so he goes and says, this is the parable of the soils. There is a man who went out to sow, and seed fell, and it fell on the path, and the birds came and ate it up. Then it fell on rocky ground, and it produced fruit immediately. But then it grew so fast, and the roots were so shallow, that the sun came and scorched it away. Then thorns were present, where the seed grows around thorns. And this one actually grows, you see. It grows with the thorns. But the thorns are a hardy type of plant, and they are stronger than the wheat 
than the barley, whatever is being grown. And it strangles it out so that it never really matures. We're told particularly that it produces no fruit. It chokes the word, he says, so that it becomes unfruitful. And then lastly is the actual parable that ends with good soil. And it produces real fruit. A hundredfold, which is a good harvest. Sixtyfold, pretty good. Thirty, hey, we'll take it. As far as whatever would be expected of an ancient agrarian context. This is fruitful people. These are the ones who actually hear my word and they get it. They understand what I'm saying. The problem of these parables is that they are mysterious. And it's only the disciples that are given the interpretation. The word disciple in Greek, mathetes, means learner. Learner, one who learns. So only the disciples actually learn about the parable. The crowd just hears the parable. He says particularly, they say, why do you speak to them in parables? To you, to you, my disciples, it has been given to know the secrets of the kingdom of heaven. To them, he says clearly, it has not been given to them. Why? Question, does that, does that bother you? Does it seem unfair? Does it seem elitist? Does it seem somewhat Gnostic? Secret knowledge for a select few? Well... After all, didn't you all just read the interpretation? Didn't God inspire the Gospel of Matthew with the interpretation to follow right after? There's something going on in what Jesus is doing now, particularly with the generation that he is confronted with. The parables are seen as a judgment. They're a sign of spiritual darkening and deafening. And this is the warning that you and I should take to heart. If you do not want the Lord, he will make sure you never find him. When people are saying, I could never believe in Jesus Christ. I could never believe in the gospel. I don't even think there's a God. Then that's, that is by design. It's not an intellectual problem. There's nothing hard to understand about this parable. Any six-year-old can get it. But only some understand it. Because it has to do, the section here we say of this sermon series is being surprised by the Spirit. God is opposed to the proud. And he gives grace to the humble. If you don't want to find God or know him, he will make sure you get exactly what you want. So he says to them, it has not been given for them to know this. Not because he wouldn't give it, but because he knows that they don't want it. There's a point in the Gospel of John, in chapter 2, where Jesus is doing many signs and wonders and they're beginning to believe in him. And Jesus says, but, he, but John says of Jesus, he did not entrust himself to them. Why? For he knew what was in man. He knew they were not looking for him as the Lord of glory. They knew they were looking for him just as a miracle worker. 
It's the same thing here. Jesus would clearly, beautifully, wonderfully give you all wisdom if you want it. The people that aren't getting it is because they don't want it. They're just this large crowd just following him for no particular reason. At least the reasons that he's interested in. Why parables then? He says, and Jesus responds by saying, Though seeing they do not see, though hearing they do not hear, nor do they understand. They can see, but they don't actually spiritually perceive my truth of the gospel of the kingdom. They can hear it, but they're not taking it in. That's why I'm not bothering giving it to them. I leave it there in the front door for them to ponder the parable. And if they want to know more, those are the ones that come in. And the question for you, is that you? Right? Do, do you actually want to know Jesus Christ more? Do you press in to know him more? Do you want to be on his inner circle? He's not elitist in the sense that the world's an elitist. He is elitist in the sense that he's discerning to know those who are his and those who are not. Those who actually want to know the Lord Jesus Christ. He obviously invites them in quickly and beautifully. These parables are secretive because they're intended to avoid misunderstanding. Everybody has been misunderstanding Jesus' ministry. And even to today, people are always misunderstanding Jesus' ministry. People always love the idea of Jesus. And he taught really good morals and characters. And there's this whole thing of the prosperity gospel for health or the prosperity gospel for wealth. But no one understands Jesus except those who actually are the good soil. In Matthew 8, he cleanses the leper and he says, don't tell anybody because people will hear about this and they'll come follow me for more miracles. In Matthew 9, he heals two blind men and he tells them not to tell anybody because people will come to me just for miracles. In Matthew 16, Peter confesses Jesus is the Christ and he says to Peter, now don't tell anybody because you don't know anything and you're going to mess this up. And surely, of course, Jesus rejects, Paul, Peter rejects Jesus going to the cross because he doesn't understand anything. And the same thing with parables. Here's the parable. Figure it out. If you want to figure it out, then you're going to know the secrets of the real kingdom. If you're just taking it at face value, you have no idea who I am. This proper understanding is truly what the difference is between those who are in the crowds and those who are what we call true disciples. Matthew goes on to say, all things Jesus said to the crowds were in parables. Indeed, he said nothing to them. He said nothing to them without a parable. This was to fulfill what the prophet said, that he would speak to his people in parables. The Messiah would come and speak in parables. Now, the word parable in the Old Testament, when the prophets use it, usually was a different word called mashal. It's an amazing word to see what's going on here. Mashal, as a verb, means to rule. Mashal means to govern. It means to be the wise one who is able to actually rule and be king. Mishal as a noun means proverb or parable. So the one who has, in that understanding, the one who has the wisdom of parables is also the one who has the virtue to hold the crown. Jesus is demonstrating himself as the king he is. Because he speaks to his people in parables. This whole world is a parable. How amazing it starts with a garden and a tree and a fruit and a snake. Doesn't that sound parabolic? It's parabolic and real. 
this whole world is a sacramental universe. That everything is given value by the word of God. That fruit was bad because God said it was bad. He labels and interprets the whole world. Every story, everything we've ever written. They're all parables and symbols. Down to fantasies of Tolkien and the, and, the, and the rings or the three little pigs. We can always put little labels on them. But Jesus has made a real story. Right? And everything in it is real and he actually puts values upon them. And he is the one who rules and reigns and he's the one who makes parables. And you can't know those parables apart from his interpretation. And so the prophecy of Isaiah, this is what he is fulfilling. You will indeed hear and never understand. You will indeed see and never perceive. This was what was given to Isaiah as a prophet. This people's heart grows dull. With their ears they can barely hear. With their eyes they have closed. Lest they should see with their eyes, hear with their ears, understand with their hearts, and then they would turn and be healed. Now that was a commission given to Isaiah many hundred years ago, before Jesus. And Jesus pulls it up and says, what was Isaiah doing here? And Jesus says, that's exactly what I'm doing here. The people in Isaiah's day would not hear his warning to repent and turn from their sins. And so they were destroyed. And they wouldn't hear his warning, not because they couldn't hear his warning. They wouldn't hear his warning, not because they couldn't see what he was saying, or see that there were other nations coming to destroy Israel. It's because within their heart, they could not understand what was going on. Though seeing, they could not see. Though hearing, they could not hear. And the reason was they were riddled with idolatry. Psalm 15 says this is exactly what happens to nations as they rise and fall. When they are riddled with idols, the idol of silver and gold, Psalm 15 says, you become like what you worship. Anyone who makes idols becomes like that idol. Idols are supposed to be images of God. In the ancient world, they were believed to be real gods that actually would answer your prayers and give you safe voyage on a boat and all these other things. And the scriptures come and say, those are false gods. They're not hearing your prayers. They can't keep you safe on the boat. There's only one true God who superintends all that happens in this world. Those who worship them, Psalm 115 says, become like them. These are, it says, dead idols. They have mouths and they cannot speak. These idols you craft of gold. These little images, these little statues. They have eyes and they cannot see. They have ears and they cannot hear. And those who worship them become like them. And so here is Isaiah speaking to his people. And they have eyes, but they cannot see. He will prophesy to them. He will speak God's word to them. And they will have ears, but they cannot hear it. Because they have given themselves to worshiping false gods. And Jesus pulls that back. And here he is in the context of his actual ministry. In which he is constantly being rejected and resisted. And he's saying, what I'm doing is what has already been done. This particular generation has rejected me. They will not hear me. They will not see me. Therefore, I give them parables. I don't entrust myself to them. I don't give them all my wisdom. They don't want it. They will trample it. They will deride it. Early in Matthew, he says, do not cast your pearls before swine. Later in this section, he's going to do a parable about a valuable pearl 
do not give valuable things to pigs who will trample them down. Jesus is saying that about his kingdom. Do you realize what we're saying now in all of this? Is that the gospel of the kingdom, the seed is the word of the kingdom. The kingdom of God's actual plan of salvation for all the world to be fulfilled and consummated in Jesus Christ. The fact that all of the world will be saved. There will be a new heavens and a new earth. And that will not just be there in the future. That is beginning then there in Jesus' ministry. And you and I are presently under his lordship. That the kingdom has come and the kingdom is coming. And that that promise cannot be taken lightly. If people reject it, they reject it to their own peril. If they reject it, they reject the only way of true life. Realizing we are on a pale blue dot. In the back of my Bible when I was a teenager, I got a picture from NASA. It was called the pale blue dot. I taped it on the back of my Bible. And I looked at it regularly. It is a black image. Of one ray, one beam of light that reflected off of the telescope of the satellite that was hovering or floating through space as it turned around to take a picture of the earth. And within that one beam of light that just hit off of the machine that way, there was a tiny particle of dust. And if you didn't know where that picture came from, you would think nothing more than it is a bad picture where someone had their finger over the lens. But inside that beam of light, there is a little speck of dust. And that is our earth. There is no hope. We are in a void of a chasm. Apart from Jesus Christ. There is a gospel of a kingdom. Of a future and a glory. And this is the pearl of great price. That Jesus offers. But his ministry is regularly rejected. Time and time again. He spoke earlier before this. Woe to you unrepentant cities. Chorazin, Bethsaida, Capernaum. If the miracles that performed in you. Would have performed in other cities. They would have repented long ago. He accounts to say. You have not heard me. Because of these soils. He goes on to say that as he heals demon-possessed men, scribes and Pharisees come and say he casts out demons by other demons. They blaspheme the Holy Spirit. And he accounts to say all this to sum it up, you are of a different type of soil. They then say, we want a sign from you. And he said, I will give you no sign except for the sign of the Son of Man. As Jonah was three days and three nights in the belly of the fish, so the Son of Man will be three days, three nights in the heart of the earth. And he said, the People of Nineveh who repented at the preaching of Jonah will rise up and judge this generation because someone greater than Jonah is here. And the queen of the south who traveled great distance to hear Solomon's proverbs will rise up and judge this generation because someone greater than Solomon is here. And here is Jesus giving his proverb, his parable. And he interprets it as such for his disciples to know, for you and I to be aware. And the thing, the question for us is to ask, to ask, which soil are you? Of these soils we hear, which are you? The word of the kingdom, he said, is like seed. The word is seed, it's thrown. The sower is not identified. Jesus 
the apostles, disciples that come, anyone who preaches the gospel of the kingdom. The path of the hard soil is like the birds, it's the evil one who comes. People's souls are hard. The word comes and runs right off. There is no softness for the seed to grab onto. You mentioned you can have your sins forgiven. You can be in union with God. The heavens can be open. The Holy Spirit can fill you. You can know the living and true God. You can have abundant life and joy everlasting. And someone says, look at that squirrel. Don't care at all. Don't care at all. Completely distracted. There's no value for that. I have no place for that. I don't have time for that. I don't care about your religion. I don't care about your Jesus. I don't, it's, there's nothing. The path that is trampled hard by many feet, it's like concrete. There's nothing to the soil. The path where the seed falls on rocky ground is like a tried soul. The rocky soil is like a tried soul. He says, immediately it receives it with joy. It sounds like a good thing. I think it's a good thing to be right with God. I think it's a good thing to be religious. I think it's a good thing to know something about Jesus. But it has no root. And there are tribulations and persecutions in this life. That will suck the life out of that gospel. Because it is not taken in deeply. The thorns and distractions, the thistles of this life. They hear the word, but the cares are deceitful. They trick them into not actually hearing it appropriately. There's a ministry called Open Doors. It's a um, ministry that advocates for persecution in the world uh, for Christians. Now this particular problem of thorns, maybe it is not ours. But it is a question to think. The persecutions, the the dishonor of being associated with Jesus, opening your mouth for Jesus. You notice you could be so comfortable doing so many things, but when you begin to speak of Jesus Christ, speak the gospel to your friends, family, coworkers, people in your life, that becomes awkward. Right? That awkwardness you're feeling, this is the part where you think about the soils, you think about your soul. Why is it awkward? Are you ashamed of him? I mean, it's awkward. Maybe they'll ask a question I don't know. Maybe I can't really give a good answer, but maybe some of that. But are you just, isn't it just easier not to talk about Jesus? Not to make him the center of your life? Not to let everyone see that in you? It would be easier if you could just kind of put that to the margin. Think about the soils. Think about the soils. This ministry opened door considering that would be the extent of our persecution here, looks at 50 countries across the world and realizes that one in eight, every Christian in the world, one in eight are in a country where it is very hostile and high risk of persecution, extreme persecution. A study they did from 2019 of October to September of 2020, that is a year, one year, 4,761 Christians were killed for their faith. 4,400 church buildings and properties were destroyed or vandalized. Every day, 13 Christians die because of Jesus. Every day. In the last 28 years of the ministry's presence, they've recorded a significant increase in this. 
North Korea was always number one. I don't think anyone will be surprised by that. Nigeria made it to the top 10 because of Muslim persecution. And now most recently, never before, China is in the top 20. They synchronize all of Christianity within China to make it fit Chinese cultural norms. That is, if you go to a church in China, an actual church in China, that's uh, publicly known, it's very unlikely that it would actually be a real church. It would just be a religious arm that propagates Chinese propaganda. But, of course, now since we exited Afghanistan the way we did, Afghanistan is number one in persecution. And we know the stories of the Taliban going door to door for execution. Jesus says in that context, if you will not remain with me, you never had good root with me. So you realize in our life, if we say, I couldn't do that for Jesus because it's awkward or inconvenient, realize now in this parable what Jesus is actually defining a disciple to be. If you would not lay your life down for me, in, to, be an elite, to be in association with me, not just an awkward conversation to open your mouth to talk about me for a minute or two, but I mean, if you would not be willing to lay your life down, look for the soils of your soul. What gospel have you believed? This whole thing's about understanding, he said. Do you understand what we mean when we say the gospel of the kingdom? If there is a back and forth to say, is it worth it for the gospel of the kingdom that I might not be killed by the Taliban? The question would be, what do you think the gospel of the kingdom is? Of course it is worth it. The gospel of the kingdom. The one place where there is no death. Die in a nursing home. Or die by the edge of a knife. You're dead. There is no other way. Jesus is saying you don't understand yet. You haven't heard the gospel yet. Yes, it is so worth it. This is the gospel of the kingdom of righteousness and holiness that will never end, that will only increase. The gospel where Jesus will be on his throne and the whole world will be made right and well. It's worth it. It's so worth it. It's so easy on paper to see. It's not easy to do, but it makes perfect sense that of course it's worth it to give your life away for this. He has given his life for you. It's worth it. The fact that he wouldn't be flirting with the idea would be the point of the parable to challenge us to say, do you understand the gospel? And so now we move to this soil, the soil of the thorns, the distractions of our soul. And this, I can say, friends, I know very well, and this is our home turf. This is where you and I live. We pray for our persecuted brothers and sisters from a distance in our homes, on our leather couches, watching TV, and getting a cold drink from the fridge before we go to bed. But all those things that I just described are thorns as well. Thorns. The distractions of our soul. He, Jesus, defines this as the cares of the world. The cares of this world and the deceitfulness of riches. 
chasing the dollar, and looking for the best life you can conjure up here now. Enjoying the promises of the kingdom? Sure, I'll take that seed. It sounds good. I will have the kingdom. I will have, uh, my conscience is bothered. I guess I could take some forgiveness here and there. I'd like to know that maybe there's something to go to when I die. Maybe it makes death a little easier. I'll I'll enjoy the kingdom, the promises of righteousness and glory, but in no way could these promises hinder my present glory now. See, it's not a love of God. It's a love of glory. Wanting riches, wealth, wanting the cares of this world, the accoutrements of this life to be padded around you like pillows so that you will live it now. Try to get everything you can get now. Do not sacrifice or give for the kingdom here. Just take what you can and be concerned with this world. It is a love of glory, not a love of the glory of God. It is a love of glory, not a love of the God of glory. There's a very big difference, a huge chasm between those two. And Jesus, in this parable, is making that chasm known, particularly here under the preaching of the word, to say that is the division that we Americans must wrestle with to realize what do we want? Do we know what we mean when we say we have heard the word of the kingdom, the gospel of the kingdom, the gospel of Jesus? Do we understand that? Or does it just happen to fit and everything else we would like to have added to our life? America, America, our culture, is a land filled, filled with these thorns. They don't aggressively just burn you out, but they will slowly choke you. They will choke your soul to death. Jesus says, In verse 22, these thorns choke the word that you put in your soul. It will choke it that it will be unfruitful. And at the end of the day, it means no difference. Whether you are on the rocks, whether you're as hard as a pathway and you take no word in. If the birds eat it or the rocks burn it or the thorns choke it out, all three of these scenarios end with no fruit. It doesn't matter. Whether you're persecuted and you deny Christ or whether you just love your life and you deny Christ because both will lead you to fruitlessness and faithlessness. I was speaking with two church planters recently and they are working in a college context where they gave the story and it was a good story where there was a young group of people that they were speaking to about Jesus. And they were obviously a group of friends closely associated with one another. And what was amazing about that is when they were giving the gospel to them, they were actually answering and responding appropriately. It's like they understood some of this. And um, they, they actually, one guy gave his own testimony and said how he came to Jesus. But the thing about it all that was weird for at least one of them, one of the church planners, was they do not worship, go to church or anything, and they don't really know the word of God. They just know about these things. And they were talking later after the fact and said, hey, one of them said, hey, I found out that those guys were all part of like the young Republicans club at the school. And the other church planner said, well, well yes, I would have figured, I mean, I, I kind of figured they were all Republicans after we talked to them for like two minutes because they're socially conservative and moral and they don't love Jesus. Like they, it's, they're just Republicans, you see. They have this idea that they have the word somewhere planted in them 
They're socially conservative and they kind of look a little bit like a disciple. But that's just the crowd. It's just the crowd. It's just Americanism. It's just American conservative patriotism. But it's not the gospel of the kingdom. Right? America is not the kingdom. Right? It's not the gospel. These people were not sold out. It's not like Jesus only gave his life for them. And they cared enough to maybe think about maybe praying one time. They don't get it. The point of the parable is saying, this, if you don't understand this parable, Jesus says in Mark, then how would you understand any parables? Because this parable is a parable about understanding. If you're not one of these soils, you'll never get it. If you don't come to me after this parable to want to know what it's about, you'll never know anything. This parable is the beginning of all parables. You have to have the Spirit inside you to discern the Spirit of God, the Word upon you, so that you will actually hear the Gospel. Like, really hear it for what it is, what we're really talking about. What is this? What are the fruits? The fact the fruits of God being praised for all eternity for this. We'll close by saying... The only way to do this is to be the good soil. And how can you be a good soil? How can you be a good tree? Jesus says you know a tree by its fruit. A good tree produces good fruit. Well, guess what? Good soil produces good trees. It's all about his Holy Spirit. You can't squint your eyes and clench your fists and think, oh, I wish I was good soil. Oh, I wish I was a good tree. I wish I would just be righteous and do the things the Lord would have. No. You must realize that this is a mashal. This is a proverb, a parable spoken by a king. And the only way, the only way you will ever be that soil is you get off the beach where the crowds are at, you jump in that water, and you hope and pray that Jesus pulls you in the boat. And then you look him in the face and you say, explain this to me. What does this parable mean? I heard you whispering with your disciples and I wish to be one of them. And then he will say, well done. I will gladly tell you what this parable means. He tests people like this all the time. The only way you're going to know this parable is if you sit at the feet of the king who speaks these parables. Dear Father, Lord, we ask that you would help us to understand this whole parabolic life that you've made for us. You began your story in the garden with the tree. We have sinned as our fathers have sinned. You said we are sinners, therefore we are sinners. You said we may be made righteous by repenting of our sins and believing upon the one who was crucified on that tree for us. That you will give us water to drink in which we will never thirst again. That you have given us fruit from the tree of life that we might never die. There is a kingdom. There is a Lord. Father, we surrender all that we might understand truly the gospel of the kingdom. Lord, we worship you and praise you and we thank you for all that you have done. Lord, please Heal us of our hard-heartedness, our blind eyes, on our deaf ears. And Lord, we pray, heal our country of our deafening idolatry. It is not the problem with the preacher, and it is not the problem with the message. It is not the problem with the seed, it is only the problem with the soil. 
Dear Father, make our soil good. We must rely upon your Holy Spirit. Holy Spirit, let us be surprised by your great graces in making the souls of men soil for your garden. In Jesus' name, amen.